two weeks ago, but I'm going to add a few verses to it down at the bottom, okay? Uh, this is during the last of three years that Jesus embraced full-time ministry. This is the last year uh, he's in his mind, not necessarily geographically, but in his mind, he is heading toward Jerusalem where he will ultimately be arrested, tried, beaten, and killed on a cross. So he's, he's moving in that direction. And uh, he's, to th this morning, Jesus, this is a Saturday morning, and Jesus has uh, been asked to teach in a synagogue uh, in, a, in a village. It's the last time, as far as we know, that Jesus will ever be in a synagogue. All right? So let me read this to you. One Sabbath, as Jesus was teaching in a synagogue, he saw a lady who had been crippled by an evil spirit and had been bent double for 18 years, unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him, saying... Uh, it's the wording that is used, the language that is used would communicate that Jesus literally in mid-sentence, he's teaching from the Torah and looks up and in the back of the room he sees this, this little old lady and he stops and he interrupts himself in mid-sentence, okay? Uh, and when he, uh, when he saw her, he called her to him saying, Dear lady, you are healed of your sickness. A better translation would be, Dear lady, you are set free from that which has bound you. That's the, the some of your translations would say that. Uh, Jesus touched her and instantly she stood up straight. How she praised God. But the synagogue ruler was indignant. He was furious that Jesus had healed her on the Sabbath. There are six days each week for working, he said to the crowd. Notice he won't even speak to Jesus. He won't even uh, address him directly. He's a coward. And so he speaks to the crowd about him being upset with Jesus. So he won't speak to him. He speaks to the crowd. And he says there are six days for working each week, uh, he said to the crowd. Come on those days to be healed, not on the Sabbath. But Jesus replied, He's speaking to this man. He speaks directly. He speaks to this man, but he also speaks to a little group of uh, people that agree with the, with the religious leader, with the, with the synagogue ruler. Um, you hypocrites, you all work on the Sabbath. Don't you unbind your ox or donkey on the Sabbath and lead it to water? This dear lady, a daughter of Abraham, has been bound by an evil spirit for, four, uh, for 18 years. Isn't it right that she be released or unbound even on the Sabbath? This shamed his enemies, but the people rejoiced at the wonderful things that Jesus did. Now here's what we're going to look at today. Then Jesus, so, so Jesus is talking, uh, in, teaching in the synagogue, he has this encounter with this lady and with the synagogue ruler, and then almost abruptly, I don't, that's my whole point today, is that I don't think it was abrupt, but almost abruptly, 
Jesus changes his conversation from what he's been talking about. And he starts talking about the kingdom of God. And so I want you to hear what he says. Then Jesus says, uh, what's the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it or explain it? It's like a tiny mustard seed planted in a garden. It grows and it becomes a tree and birds make their nest in its branches. Again, Jesus asked, what's the kingdom of God like? It's like yeast that a woman would use in making bread. Even though only a little yeast is used, it permeates every part of the dough. Jesus is teaching in a, maybe a room like this uh, to a crowd of people like y'all. And um, he sees this little old lady in the back, maybe where Kim's seated, and uh, she's been uh, attacked. It doesn't say possessed, but that's not unreasonable. She has been attacked by an evil spirit for 18 years, and she's literally bent double like this. Um, every minute of every day, according to medical research, every minute of every day for 18 years, this woman's been in pain. Whether she's still or moving, lying down or seated, she's in constant pain. And because of the severity of her disformity, uh, um, it has ruined every aspect of her life. I mentioned this last week. Uh, I find it incredibly significant. Uh, or two weeks ago, I find it incredibly significant that this lady... still faithfully gathers with God's people every week. For 18 years, she's there. She's there. She gathers with God's people to worship, to pray, to study the scriptures. She's there. She comes faithfully. And Jesus sees her, stops his message, and calls her to the front. I don't know about you, uh, but... Being bent over like this and having to come to the front of a big crowd of people probably wasn't her first pick of things to do that day. Most of us would have stayed home. Most of us would have not been courageous and faithful enough to, uh, you know, we have a bad hair day or it sprinkles outside, we stay home. But not this lady. She comes and she willingly, humbly, fearfully, courageously she comes uh, uh, obeys Jesus and comes to the front of the room and Jesus speaks to her and touches her and sets her free and gives her back her life uh, the people are amazed this lady is overwhelmed with joy and the Bible says that she immediately begins to worship God she looks to the heavens and begins to worship God but in the midst of all this amazement and joy the synagogue ruler, the guy that ran this religious institution and gathering, he's furious. He's so focused on and consumed by and devoted to rules and traditions 
uh, related to how people are supposed to operate on the Sabbath, that he is completely blind to the miracle that takes place right in front of him. He's seen this lady every week for 18 years in a, a life that is full of pain and devastation. She is set free, and he, he, he misses it. He can't even see it. He is furious with what has taken place. Um, I find it very interesting, very curious, very intriguing that Jesus follows this encounter of ministering to this little old cripple woman and rebuking this religious leader. He follows those two encounters with some teaching on the kingdom of God. Now, some of y'all are going to have to put on your thinking caps today, okay? What I'm going to talk to y'all about for just a few minutes is important. It matters, um, and it's going to challenge some of you. It's going to challenge some of you that are on the scale of traditional, orthodox, conservative Christianity. I'm going to try to bring you back from there a little bit. And some of you that are on the other end of the spectrum, that are more on the, the social gospel, uh, our, our purpose is to make the world better. Let's all wave our beak, our big lighters and sing, we are the world. That crowd, I'm going to try to pull you back a little bit too, to the middle. Okay? I find it very significant that Jesus has this encounter with this little old lady and with this angry religious leader. And after he does, he, he, he stops and he talks about the kingdom of God. Wonder why. Why now? Why is this the moment that Jesus wants to talk about and explain the kingdom of God? Now, I broke it into two parts. Why this religious leader? Why did Jesus look over at this man filled with rage and want to talk about the kingdom of God? And I just, I'm just giving you some suggestions, okay? Just giving you some things to think about. But I have to believe that when Jesus looked into the face of this man that is so angry, so frustrated, so indignant, so self-righteous, so judgmental, that he misses the miracle of a lady having her life transformed. I think Jesus wants us to, sit, to think about as we talk about the kingdom of God, how easy it is to miss what's important about the kingdom of God. How easy it is to miss what matters most to miss what is primary because we are so focused and passionate and consumed with that which is secondary. What is the kingdom of God like? That's what Jesus asked. What is the kingdom of God like? Well, I have to believe that in Jesus' thoughts, he's thinking, I can tell you what the kingdom of God's like. It's the opposite of the life 
that this lady has experienced for 18 years. Where the kingdom of God is, that doesn't take place. People won't experience in the kingdom of God lives like that lady has suffered for 18 years. Ultimately, the kingdom of God will be a place where things are as they should be. There'll be no more bondage. No more demon attack. No more loneliness and isolation. No more hate and fear and abuse. No more poverty and injustice and betrayal. No more relational dysfunction. No more sorrow and sickness. No more ignorance and need. The kingdom of God will be a place where people will be whole and loved and well. My daughter and I walk early in the morning a number of days each week. And um, she teaches world religions. That's, that's what she does for a living. And um, we, she's always intrigued by my thoughts and reactions to what she's teaching. So she's bouncing things off of me all the time. She's bringing, she'll say, lad, what do you think about this? And she'll, so anyway, the other day we were walking uh, and she, 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 all of a sudden she said, lad, you know, every world religion has a very similar belief in the future. Every world religion has this kingdom that they're hoping for. They're, they believe is coming. They're striving for. They're, they're, they're waiting on. They're praying for. Every world religion has this idea that in the future, there's going to be a kingdom that is wonderful. And Christianity's lumped them in with all the other ones, right? We all believe that there's going to be this kingdom someday, the kingdom of God. All world religions agree with that. A kingdom that is like I just described. No hate and fear and abuse and no poverty and injustice and betrayal and on and on and on. But I believe that Jesus is challenging us Folks, not to miss, like the synagogue ruler, it's in dairy. Jesus says, be careful that you don't blind yourself to what's primary, what's important, because you're so focused on what's secondary and less important. It's easy to miss what's most important. Related to the kingdom of God. I think that's what Jesus is saying. It is easy to miss what is most important regarding the kingdom of God. And what is that? I want to suggest to you. Think I'm wrong? That's okay. You go home and you think about it and pray about it. And then the Holy Spirit will show you I was right. Um, what makes Christianity... Unique. There's many. I'm sorry. One of the things. I, I said that poorly. 
one of the things that makes Christianity completely unique versus all other world religions is that while Christianity hope for a future and look for and pray for and hope for a future kingdom like all other world religions, what makes Christianity unique is that we're waiting for a king. No other religious entity, no other belief system, no other religion is waiting for a real live king. What makes Christianity unique is that its subjects are waiting not just for a kingdom, but for a king. We're waiting for a person. Do you, do you understand that? Are you aware of that? Do you, do you embrace that? We're not waiting for a better day, although that's coming. We're not waiting for a better government. The government will be on his shoulders. That means that Jesus will be in charge. Things will run nationally and internationally the way they're supposed to. Yay! Praise God. Someday it's going to run the way it's supposed to. Right will be right. But that's not what we're waiting on. The fact that Jesus is going to have the government on his shoulders is good news. But it's not the good news. The good news is that the one who holds the government is coming again. We're waiting for a person, not just for better ideals, better principles, better values. We're not waiting for reform. We're not uh, waiting for improvements in society. We're not waiting for better days. It's easy, and I think this is one of Jesus' points. It is easy to get so focused on the coming kingdom that we are blind to the king of that kingdom. And I would suggest to y'all that the only reason the kingdom matters is because of its king. The future kingdom is wonderful and glorious and we should be excited about it. Why? Uh, not asked. She, buddy, she looked like a Swiss watch. She had, uh, first time, and Catherine, you'd be proud of her. First time I've done weddings for 40 years. I've done 500, 600 weddings. I don't know how many I've done. Every seat was full 40 minutes before the wedding. We were all standing there. I was, she, made, she made me swear on my mother's eyes that I had to be there an hour and a half early. I'm never at a wedding an hour and a half early. 40 minutes tops. No, you have to. So here I'm, I'm up there. Everybody's up there. We're all there looking at each other, waiting for 40 minutes. And they're all looking at me like, hey, when are you starting this thing? We're going to start this thing at 1230 on the dot like that bride said. My... <laughs> And it was a beautiful wedding. She had everything organized perfectly. This didn't happen. But how tragic if in her attempt to create a beautiful wedding, 
she had hurt her groom's feelings by putting the wedding before the groom. Oh, no bride would put her wedding before the groom. <laughs> How tragic for a chef to be more passionate about the food than the guest. How tragic for politicians to be more committed to the success of their party than the success of the country. How tragic for coaches to be more consumed with winning than with the character and the pleasure of their players on the team. How tragic, please don't say amen, how tragic that a dad would be more committed to making good time on the way to a vacation than he is his family enjoying the vacation that they're on. Not that anybody in this room would be guilty of that. How tragic that people would be more focused on the kingdom, on things being and becoming as they should be, then they are excited about the return of the king. Folks, if you will study the parables of Jesus, they're filled with illustrations about farms and businesses and families and uh, uh, all kind of different things going on. But in every one of Jesus' parables, what's in, what's is the family important? Is the business important? Is the, 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 uh, the, the farm important? Are these different settings that Jesus uses in his parables, are they important? Sure. Uh, the, uh, the wedding, Jesus taught parables about weddings and businesses and farms and kingdoms and all kinds of different things. In every one of these parables, the people and the things that those people represent, they're all important. But I want to suggest to you that what's most important is not the seeds or the pearls or the, um, uh, the, uh, the farm or the business, the talents that the, the uh, king gave. All that's important. But you know what's most important? Is the king, the dad. The father, the, diff, the, uh, um, the father, the dad, the groom, the owner, the host, the shepherd. Oh my gosh, a sheep is lost. Let's go find him. That's very important. But it's secondary to the shepherd. Let me illustrate. Every one of you know the story of the prodigal son. Who's the most important person in that story? 
Who's the person? Who's the most important person in the story? The dad. The dad's who's most important. Oh, the older son's out there mad. He's muled up, asking about everybody because no, everybody's not cooperating and towing their own, pulling their own weight and doing what they're supposed to do. Actually, what he's really mad at is that everybody's not acting the way he wants. He's important. And the, the, the wild child, you know, he, he's important. Everybody's important. The servants that are bringing the rings and the robes and the new shoes and the, you know, and all, they're all, everybody's important. But who's most important is the king. Luke 17, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom is a kingdom that is committed to changing hearts one at a time. And that heart change comes from accepting the message of the king. So that begs a $54,000 question. What's the message of the king? The gospel. The gospel. The king of God's kingdom came to this earth and brought a message. The gospel. And people experience life by accepting that message. You see, when Jesus came and brought God's kingdom, he didn't bring reformation. He didn't bring a message of reformation. Everybody grab a gun. Everybody grab a sword. Everybody grab a bub and start over again. That's not what Jesus brought to this earth. Jesus did not bring a message of reformation. He ultimately brought a message of redemption. I came, I lived, I died, I was buried, and I rose again. And if you put your faith in what I did for you, you will not be primarily reformed you will ultimately be redeemed. Jesus' message, Jesus' kingdom message of the gospel, hear me, I beg you to hear me. Jesus did not bring a message primarily to make us feel better. Oh, God loves me. Oh, I'm valuable. Oh, God's got good plans for me. Oh, God loves. That, doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that make you feel good? In the gospel, it does. But the primary message of the gospel is not to make us feel good. The primary message of the gospel is not to make us act good. Jesus did not come to make people act good. Or feel good. Y'all all, parents will say, my son's not acting right. We just need to pray that he'll get saved. My son's not acting right, so we need to pray that he gets, my husband's not being a good husband. We need to pray that he gets saved. Do you hear the message, the subtle message? 
The message of the gospel is primarily to make people act better. Is that right? Is that, is that the message that Jesus brought? Trust in me, believe in me, I'm going to suffer and die on the cross so that you feel better and so that you act better. No. Jesus came and lived and suffered and died and rose again so that we could enter into an intimate family relationship with his dad. That's the message of the gospel. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of God's kingdom. What will the kingdom of God be like? It'll be a place where we will be a family and we will all be rightly related with Jesus' Father. Will that kingdom impact us with wonderful, marvelous feelings of love, joy, and peace? Absolutely. Will that kingdom be a place, or will, will it be a place where we are impacted with the desire and the ability to live like we were created to live? Sure, of course. I'm just wanting to remind, I'm not minimizing how wonderful it is to be filled with the revelation that we are loved and forgiven and blessed and given mercy and compassion. Oh, how that makes me feel good, and it does. I'm not minimizing that the power of the gospel changes people and turns people from being selfish and mean and hateful and prejudiced and, and greedy and liars and uh, unfaithful and adulterous and all. Of course the gospel change affects all that. I just want us to see that those are byproducts, not the purpose of the gospel. Not the purpose of the kingdom of God. Jesus didn't bring a mop to clean up a dirty world. Jesus didn't bring a sword to, to, to overthrow this mean Roman government and establish a good government. Jesus didn't bring a toolbox to fix what was broken. Jesus didn't bring a bottle of glue to reconnect that which had been severed. Jesus didn't bring a, a medicines our school books, our ideals, our laws. Jesus brought the gospel. That's why he came. Because he wanted you and me to be rightfully connected in a loving relationship with his dad. Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is here. So repent and believe the gospel. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, unless a person is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. This king, this king that came 2,000 years ago, he brought the gospel. His death, burial, and resurrection. Do you believe that? Have you embraced that? Do you acknowledge that? Jesus said, I came for sick people, not for people that think they're fine. Notice he didn't say for people that are fine. 
I didn't come for people that think they're fine. Because the people that are fine, they don't exist. Jesus came to bring the gospel. Not to make us feel better or act better. But to offer us an intimate relationship with his dad. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Jesus, or Paul's, or, uh, Lord help us, Peter reminds us, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. That's why Jesus came. He suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. Why? So that we could be brought into relationship with his dad. We just need to be careful. Like that synagogue ruler. He was so focused on what he thought was important that he missed what was ultimately most important. We need to be very careful in our passion our indignance, our anger, our frustration. The world is not as it should be. And we need to make the world right. Yes, we do. And why didn't God come back and made the world right? Because he's in the process of changing hearts one at a time. When people realize their need for the gospel. Their need for the substitutionary atonement of Christ the King who died for me and died for you. And he wants to come into your life and save you and adopt you into his dad's kingdom and bring you into a relationship with his dad. And it will make you feel better and it will make you act better, probably. Unless you're an extra hardhead like me and then depends on the day. But what's most important is that we accept and embrace and stand on the gospel. Why would Jesus take this opportunity in this synagogue to talk about the kingdom of God? Because he was in the presence of a man who was so consumed with what he thought was important that he was blind to what really was important. Why would Jesus use this encounter, this time in this synagogue, in the presence of this little old lady, to talk about the kingdom of God? Well, I have to at least believe that possibly Jesus is also wanting us to see in the kingdom of God, who matters? Who's important? What, what ultimately constitutes significance and value and worth and importance in the kingdom of God? Jesus turns to this little old lady that's been bent over for 18 years. She's old. She's small. She's poor. She's insignificant. She's unimpressive. She's inconsequential. She's overlooked. She would never be on E! Uh, uh, TV channel. She would never be in Congress. 
She would never be a CEO of a big corporation. She would never be the, uh, the, uh, the coach or the quarterback of a winning athletic team. She would never be a major A player in any group doing anything. And yet Jesus looks at this little lady, and I have to believe he probably looked over and winked at her. Tears are rolling down her face. She's so happy and thankful. And she looks up into Jesus' face and he winks at her. And I think Jesus is saying, folks, that, that's a star in my kingdom. That's an A player. That's who matters. That's why I came. Jesus uses his opportunity to contrast what God values with what the kingdoms of the world value. What, how God sees people versus how the kings of the world sees people. And he picks two of the most common um, things in any household, any Jewish household. He picks mustard seeds that a woman would plant in her garden and he picks yeast which a woman would use to make bread. Things that are tiny, things that are slow growing, but over time they create large, lasting, delightful influence and impact. In the kingdom of God, people and things are important that in the kingdoms of the world are not. Things that are small and inconsequential and unimportant and unnoticed in God's kingdom, they have huge value and they have huge impact. And my, man, my mind, I'll end with this, my mind just ran through the scriptures as I was preparing this. I was overwhelmed with how many times God reminds us of this truth that the people that he values most are the people sitting in this room that think their lives don't matter. People that think I'm unnoticed, I'm unimportant, I'm never going to do anything big, I'm not going to be written up in the paper, I'm not a big sign that says, back of a book, I'm not going to have my name in, uh, up on some big sign that says, founder of a big corporation, I'm not going to be on TV being interviewed on how I led my team to victory, or how I won a war. Nobody's going to ever notice me. I think Jesus is saying, I want y'all to know that if that's the way you feel, if you feel unimportant, insignificant, overlooked, maybe you've done things in your life that you feel like have done, or maybe you feel or you've been repeatedly told you've voided out any worth. You never can matter now. You're, you've wasted it and it's over. I think of that little old lady. How many little old ladies in the Bible are so significant in the eyes of God? Um, I think of that prophet. Um, this is all in the Old Testament, but uh, there was a prophet. We don't even know his name. 
And he served God faithfully his entire life. And he died. And his wife and his children, he leaves them in a bad place. They're broke. And God sends this another prophet to this little old lady. And he says, ma'am, I remember the faithful service that your husband gave me his entire life. And because I was impressed with his faith. Nobody knows who he was. We don't know his name. We don't know what he did. God knows. And because I know, I'm going to take care of you and your children. Y'all matter. Y'all matter in your husband's life and ministry. It matters. That little old lady that built that room uh, onto the side of her house for the prophet Elisha. We don't know her name. We don't know who that is. But some little old lady said, I see the prophet of God going back and forth on his uh, route of ministry. And it's wrong for him to sleep outside all the time in the weather. So I'm going to make him a room where he can get in and out of the weather and be comfortable. We don't know her name. We don't know where she lived. We don't know anything about this lady other than this act of kindness. Who cares? Not that big a deal. That's not important. No, it's not important. Until her son died. And now all of a sudden, whoa. Your kindness and generosity, it matters. It matters. And I could go on and on and on. The little girl that witnessed to Naaman, that Syrian general uh, 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 that had leprosy. Here's a little Jewish girl who the idea that she would have said something is crazy. Here's a little Jewish slave girl. But she says, hey, Mr. General, the God that I believe in back in Israel, you might want to get to know him. You might want to go find out about him because it might just change your life. And danged if that general didn't believe that. And for the rest of his life, he was so glad that that little girl said something. Some of you live by and work around and live in the same family with people who desperately need to hear about God's love. What would I say? I didn't go to seminary. I hadn't memorized all the Bible verses. My life's not perfect. What would I say? What would I say? Maybe you could say what that little girl said. The God that I believe in. You might get to know him. Because in the process, it might change your life. The little boy with the sack lunch that he gave to Jesus... That mom whose daughter was demon-possessed and wouldn't let go of Jesus. I'm going to bug him. We, we don't even know these women's names. Who are these people? We don't even know who they are. But they did little acts of faithfulness and sacrifice and service and courage. We don't know anything about them but these little acts, these little glimpses. But what we do know is that God saw it. 
And it was a big deal to him. The dude that loaned Jesus the donkey, the dude that helped Jesus carry his cross, the little lady that came in uh, the last week of Jesus' life and put perfume on him to anoint him for his crucifixion and his, his death and his burial. We don't even know these people. Who are these insignificant, unimportant, overlooked people that in any kingdom nobody would care about? Jesus' declaration, in my kingdom, they're a big deal. And I notice them, and I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to reward them. I don't care what other kingdoms do. In my kingdom, they're a big deal. I just think God wants us to know that, that you're a big deal, that you have great potential and great power to create great, like yeast in dough or like seeds in a garden. God wants to use us to have huge impact according to his values. If we're willing, like that little cripple woman, to risk some embarrassment, risk some possible ridicule, and to step out and do what we believe we've heard Jesus tell us. Lord, help us. You go home and ponder that passage in Luke 13. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like leaven and it's like little seeds. They're so small. But over time, day in and day out, they can create huge impact. They can create huge influence. They can turn dry old crackers into the most soft, delicious bread you think about that we're going to take the Lord's Supper um, Nathan you and your, oh you're singing aren't you Never mind. Uh, Nathan you and Randy come up here and help me we're going to take the Lord's Supper Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You want to get in God's kingdom? I can tell you who's going to be there. People that recognize and acknowledge, I need God's help. I need God's help. I'm poor. I'm bankrupt. I can't get in on my own. So I need somebody to get me in uh, holding their coattail. We eat bread and we drink wine or juice. The wine's purple, the juice is yellow. But we eat and drink every week to remind ourselves that there was somebody who came and said, you can't get into my dad's kingdom by yourself. But he'll let me in, and I'll bring you in with me. And we were just silly enough, foolish enough, 
bankrupt enough, we said, I believe that and I'll take it. And God said, good. If that's your hope, if that's your belief, if that's what you're banking on, that God sent his son to this earth to die on a cross for your sins and mine, and you're holding on to him so that he can get you into this future kingdom that we all believe in and we all are waiting for, if that's your hope, then I invite you to come and eat and drink and remember and give thanks. Okay? prayer. There will be people on my right and my left who would love to pray for you. Please don't leave here if you need prayer. Don't leave here without being prayed for. They would love to pray with you and they'll pray with you in faith. I promise.